I hear the voice of my grandmother calling me. I hear the voice of my grandmother calling. Wake up, wake up, she says, wake up, wake up. Listen, 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 listen. May the rivers all run free. May the mountains be unspoiled. May the air be pure. May the trees grow up tall. May the earth be shared by all. I hear the voice of my grandmother calling me. I hear the voice of my grandmother calling. Wake up, wake up. She says, wake up, wake up. Listen, 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 listen. May the rivers all run free. May the mountains be unspoiled. May the air be pure. May the trees grow up tall. May the earth be shared by all. May the air be pure. May the trees grow up tall. May the earth be shared by all. Hello, Sama Morningstar again. Another quick announcement just for this episode. I wanted to let you know that I started a new podcast uh, called Writing from the Womb, in which I feature... Um, writers and share about my, uh, and we share about our the our writing process and how that's connected to our womb and our creative core. And I decided to share this writing from the womb podcast episode with you here because there is such a a, a deep overlap in the topic of writing from the womb and womb-centered healing because um, this particular episode features discussion about how healing writing is and that creative process. So enjoy this uh, overlap episode from the Writing from the Womb podcast. And if you want to hear other Writing from the Womb podcasts episodes, I encourage you to look for writing from the womb in all the podcast platforms, whatever podcast platform you might be listening to this on. All right. Enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome to the Writing from the Womb podcast. I'm Sama Morningstar and I have Erina here with me. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I met Erina through a collaborative book writing project called Birth that uh, we are both involved in. And we were talking about going on podcasts in that group and being guests on podcasts. And I, um, and, and then Erina and I said, well, let's, let's do it. Let's come on, let's go on the podcast. And so here we are. And it turns out Erina has um, a poem, uh, and some topics about womb-centered healing and how um, writing is a helpful process, particularly writing poetry can be a very helpful process on the womb-centered healing journey. And so um, looking forward to hearing 
about that and and sharing it with you the listeners so um erna would you please introduce yourself more talking about sharing with us about the the therapeutic writing process and this poem i know you mentioned that it was about um freeing ourselves from shame which is a big topic um actually just today uh another writing partner and i i teach writing from the womb workshops and we were just talking about that today in one of my workshops about um the importance of um freeing ourselves from the grip of shame in order to move forward in the healing process so i, I can't wait to hear what you have to say about that so please introduce yourself some more and share about that a little bit and and um and let's get started thank you very much it's a honor to be part of this and um, to be able to share. My name is Erin Oliver and I live in New Zealand in the top of the South Island and I'm an integrative relationship and well-being coach so I bring in um, Chinese medicine principles um, to my practice and helping to heal from physical, mental and emotional dysfunction in our body and our lives and um, through the process of my own journey and um, healing from um, the trauma of abuse, um, mental illness and a very toxic and dysfunctional relationship where I ended up with the symptoms of fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, um, irritable bowel and MS for a number of years. Um, I have managed to become free from all that. And in 2017, um, on reflection of my journey, um, right through from childhood, I wrote this poem and it's called A Cloak of Shame. Mm. Wow, can't wait to hear it. Please, please proceed. <laughs> I'm a sensitive soul, though I seem tough, able to cope when things get rough. It hurts that my friends never saw my pain, even though it was kept hidden because of the shame. The cloak of shame was pulled real tight, coming off only in the dead of night. Misunderstood and totally isolated, added to the feelings of the desolated. This cloak of shame is a result of unhealthy perceptions, a protection so needed at first, yet so isolating. Yet because of misunderstandings and self-deception, this cloak of shame became a place of desolation. Depression, judgment, criticism, blame and shame. The flavors of the month, week, day, Hour to fly. To break free was the only plea from a heart so empty, cold and dry. Just how to return from the shadow of self, no longer able to remain unseen on the shelf, knowing the actions and inactions of life had impact on you and the kids. Oh, the strife. The conflict, chaos, confusion and difficulties had taken its toll. You just wanted out. 
to get out or get through became your main aim for sanity, safety, order and clarity. The commitment is made to break free of the pain, to begin to live a balanced perspective, leaving behind the desolation and shame, to find in yourself a life more respective. Moving from a life filled with shame to a life where acceptance is routine, from a life of judgment and blame to a life where you feel your joy is almost obscene. A place where you can welcome change, have courage, confidence and certainty. A place like home, yet feels so strange to see life unfold so much more perfectly. Where soon you will see value so precious amongst the old life's cold memories. As you look back, it can feel quite breathless seeing the gold you've created in your treasury. Looking back with a smile as you now see your strength, resilience and unique worth. Knowing now you are and have something of value for yourself, your family, your friends and others on earth. That cloak of shame hid a light, just a little light, dimmed right down, hidden far, far from sight. Afraid of being seen, of attracting even the blight, some loved this little light and others tried to snuff it. This caused so much confusion, conflict and concern. What am I supposed to do? Shine brightly in the dark? Join the darkness? Hide my light? That little oxygen light, that little light needs oxygen to burn. The choices seem to be black or white, joy, despair, darkness, light. Defeat or freedom? How does this we might? know what's best, tis a sad plight. No one to guide, support or understand, the light got hidden deeply, real fast. That sparkly, vivacious, fun-filled lass struggled to fill the role of the downcast. She did her best, entered with the depressed, that dim, grimy place of judgment, comparisons, fear, criticisms, blame. Those things all used by this cloak of shame. Until at long last, others who knew of this light battled alongside and helped to beat the blues, clearing the grime, the dark black clouds. Until once again, that little light ignited with joy, that little flame with years of timid practice started shining so bright. Becoming a beacon for those near and far who need a light feeling so marred to help them believe that they too can find their own little light and not feel so blind. To help them believe no matter the past or who they've become that change is possible. Simple as making a choice to step out of the misery and find a life to rejoice. Mm, thank you. I love the the rhyming structure and the fluidity 
of that in there. It really gives it a beautiful rhythm and melody throughout the whole piece. I'd love to hear your about your process of, of writing this piece. It sounds like you um, wrote it as you were coming out of quite, quite an extensive healing process for yourself. Um, I wonder if you wrote therapeutically during the healing process, and this was like the, the culmination of that, or if you discovered writing just at this point. To be really honest, I probably only really discovered writing at this point. Um, it's something that's been in me, but again, had been squashed out. Mm. Um, I think I'm probably quite real in what I write and for many around me, they couldn't understand um, and they didn't, it was too painful. It meant that they had to look not only at themselves, but actually what was going on with me um, as a child. Um, and I think that's something that um, we struggle with those that um, have abuse and trauma in their life, those that are experiencing depression um, and the, both the mental and the physical pain um, of autoimmune dysfunction, when we start to become real and share just what's going on for us, it's actually too much for so many people. And so I was finding that being able to write for me was a, a way that I could share um, what was actually happening. Beautiful. And so I imagine then that the that letting your writing come out and starting to be able to share, um, did that spark another layer of your healing process? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yep. No, it allowed me, it gave me a sense of freedom. Um, that I can actually express myself um, and, and in a way that's real for me and meaningful for me. Um, whether others got it or not, it actually didn't matter at that point. Mm -hmm. And so did you, as you were writing and being able to express yourself, um, did you share with others what you were writing or did you find places and people that you could share your writing with? Because I know that's been a journey for me and that, you know, when we write about these um, feelings and processes that, you know, our typical family structures or societal structures would prefer to keep silent. And yet we're writing about them and wanting to share about them and wanting to have expression. There are some people who welcome that and others who don't. And it took a while for me to be, to have more people who welcomed that in my uh, circles than, than the other way around. Um, and that that was a process of, of development for me to surround, my, to you know, find myself surrounded and, and make deliberate choices about who I'm surrounding myself with. And, and you know finding my way to into communities and 
circles where that kind of expression is welcomed. Did you go through a similar process of, of finding people or even training people that were in your life about the importance of this kind of expression? I shared it with only a very select few right at the start. Those that knew me really well, that had known and supported me in my journey. Um, and their feedback was so encouraging. I suppose it took probably about a year before I took the courage to actually share it um, a, a little bit wider. Um, so I shared it as a um, document in a couple of closed groups that I was in on Facebook. Um, and again, the response was so heartwarming. heartwarming. Um, and that I think judgment, blame, shame, and criticism are uh, tools that society use to silence people. And the old paradigm of this doesn't work, um, especially when it comes to healing bullying and abuse. Um, and there's a new paradigm that is being called for, and that is the acceptance and um, the um, and love, appreciation. What I learned with my own journey and my dysfunctional and toxic marriage and the bullying and abuse that was going on there was, first of all, I actually realized that I wasn't just the victim, but I was the bully too. Because when I wasn't being verbally and emotionally abused, I was doing that 24-7. I was persecuting myself with my thoughts and the way that I would speak to and about myself. And it was horrid. And I knew that the only way that I could help myself to have a different reality in life was to heal this inner bully. And what was so magical was that as I healed this inner bully, the external mirroring manifestation was easing as well. And my husband was verbally and emotionally abusing me even less and less. And it was one day when he was standing there after some period of time, and it shocked me because we'd had a really good length of time without um, any flare-ups and that sort of thing. He was standing going there at me. And all of a sudden it hit me, oh my goodness, he's not the bully, he's the victim here. And I don't like using those two words because of the connotations, but I had the understanding that something had happened in his day that had caused him to feel powerless and he was hurting. And okay, it wasn't right and it wasn't fair the way that he was treating me, but the way I had the power in that moment to make or break the cycle the way that I responded to him. Um, because at the core, both the bully and the victim, um, uh, the, the core emotion is powerlessness. So when you can empower somebody who is feeling powerless, it breaks that cycle. So the way that I responded to him in that moment was what broke that. Um, so, uh, coming back um, to this 
judgment, blame, shame, and criticism, that doesn't work. And yet there's so many um, areas in society that are still using that model. They've got to find somebody accountable. They've got to blame somebody. They've got to, and it's like, yeah, we've got to be responsible. We've got to be accountable, but it's the self-responsibility. It's the self-accountability. And so many people don't even realize that what they're doing is abuse. Mm -hmm. Well, so I'd like to, could you go back to this moment with your husband when uh, after a period of, of a lot of healing, it sounds like from, you know, sort of clearing your marriage of these patterns and suddenly it's happening again and you having the clarity to see that the underlying reasons it was happening. Could you articulate how you responded to him? Um, what did you say that broke the cycle? You explained how it broke the cycle, but you didn't <laughs> tell us exactly what it was that you did say, because I'm sure <laughs> listeners are like, like me, I was like, what did she say? What did she say? Wait, 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 go back. What did she say? <laughs> I took a deep breath for a start because that gave me a moment and it also gave him a moment uh, because I'd recognized that a pattern in him that when he used to go blah, um, he would go into self-persecution mode straight away. So I, my past way of responding to him used to be to go burr back at him or else to burst into tears. So that perpetuated the cycle. So I took a deep breath and then I just looked him in the eye and I says, I'm not quite sure what's happened for you today, but I will not be spoken to like this ever again. And that was, I'd never ever said that to him. Um, so, and people had been saying to me, you've just got to take your power back. You've just got to take your power back. And it was like, yeah, it takes a lot of courage to stand up to somebody who's tearing strips off you and do that. So, um, uh, so I, yeah, I just looked at him and I said to him that, you know, I will not be spoken to like this again. Um, and that I just need some space, but when I come back, um, I would like to find out what's actually happening here. Because 99% of the time, his accusations were never accurate. They were never right. They were never fair. Um, and yet the victim and me, the, the traumatized child who was trying to be accepted, liked, and to justify, um, would just react. So the healing um, and the shifts that I had made um, also had allowed him to make some shifts as well but it allowed me to be more present with myself and actually know that I had a voice um, so. wow and so it sounds like you're you're working with or you were and you probably still are because this is a this is a big thing to work with this triangle of the victim the persecutor and the savior and how you, you mentioned a little bit in what you were sharing about how the persecutor is often feeling victimized and powerless in some way. And the same is true, the, the, the victim is feeling powerless and can very easily switch to become the persecutor either of the self or the other person. 
And then also both of those rows, roles can easily switch to being the savior, which is often coming from just as much of a powerlessness place mm -hmm. of wanting to feel powerful because I've, I've saved someone. Therefore, yep. if I save or help someone, then I feel powerful. And that, that savior can, can easily flip back to being the persecutor if, if the person they're trying to save isn't allowing themselves to be saved or is, is not facilitating the saving in some way or another. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and that um, the shame that comes up for all of these and the crit, the self-criticism, the self-shame, you know, if we're, if we're um, stuck in that triangle within ourselves and, you know, wanting someone to come and save us or, you know, just, you know, persecuting ourselves for not, you know, and for be, and then feeling victimized and all of that inside, then everybody else in our lives seems to, even if they're not in that role, seems like they are in one of those roles. Absolutely. Yeah. Them. Yeah. And we yeah. perpetuate that, that triangle. And so it sounds to me like what you did with your husband to get out of that is to, is you said inside, you, you had been working on that triangle inside yourself mm -hmm. and you said, no, I'm not going to be the victim here to your persecutor. I, I refuse to, to do that. I'm yeah. also, and, and I'm curious what happened when you came back afterwards, because it could very easily uh, have switched to you being the savior. You know, you could have said, well, I'm not going to be the victim, but I'll save you from whatever, whatever's making you feel uh, uh, disempowered that's making you become the persecutor. And then you'd be back in the triangle again, right? Um, and so I'm curious what, you know, after you took that time and what a wisdom to say, you know, I need to take a breath. I need to step away. I need some space from this. And then I'm going to come back and we're going to see what's really going on underneath this. I'm curious yeah. what you discovered and how you avoided becoming the savior. If he did indeed share with you, you know, some way that he was feeling disempowered. Yeah. So when I came back, um, the first thing I got was an apology because one of the and I, I do have to credit um, my husband he didn't like what had happened in our marriage um, it was never ever his intention but because of his upbringing he didn't know any different he didn't know any other way to treat me and to respond to situations when he became powerless so he was just in a reactive mode. Um, so I'm presuming that my modeling over those months, years of changing myself was giving him different ways to, to respond. The other thing that I learned was that when I have that vibration, that energy of the victim within me, everything that I say and do carries that energy, projects that energy out. So it's triggering anybody else who has that bully victim um, stuff going on without them even being aware of it. So as I was reducing that energy vibration within myself, it wasn't coming back. So he had to find another way of reacting. So he apologized, um, 
and then just shared what had happened to him during the day. Um, and I suppose this is where I've had um, an inner gift in some ways. Um, the, I, the teacher in me, the, the, there's something in me that wants to teach, wants to empower, wants to inspire people to find their own answers, find their own solutions. So even I did this more so probably with the children than what I did it with the, my husband earlier on, but I would throw questions out to him to help him to see, well, what could you have done? What would you like to have done? Um, how would you like to have responded? What would you like to have happened? Um, to bring a different perspective in. Um, and then that whole self-forgiveness thing, it's like, okay, it's happened. We cannot change anything in the past. We can only change this moment going forward. Um, so, yeah, and I think that too, coming back to that whole teacher empower aspect of me frustrates him so often because then he's got to start taking responsibility for himself. So it puts him back into that powerless state because so often for so many, who have been in a powerless state for so long, um, it's just easy to stay there rather than actually to take responsibility for themselves. Wow, so it sounds like he, your husband was, um, even though it might've been difficult, he was enough available for that process to, of, of having you come back with questions to him that were um with an with an eye to um sort of highlighting where he might find his own power and not feel so powerless yeah. right and and that he was able to be receptive enough to that um to carry forward and it sounds to me i think you told me earlier in the conversation before we even started the podcast that that you know, you stayed with him. So obviously, uh, he learned how to not speak to you in that way anymore. And to take responsibility for that, because it sounds to me like you made a pretty firm boundary that you would not be spoken to in that way anymore. And I'm curious about that. Was that like, that was the end of it. And from then on out, he had to learn a different way to deal with those feelings in himself that made him want to lash out at you. Or was there a learning curve from that moment of saying, I will not be spoken to this way anymore. And I need you to take responsibility for that. And I'll, I can help you with that by asking you these questions, but that there would be, seems to me like there might be a learning curve once, you know, that oh, absolutely. And that you would have to say again, here it is again, I will not be spoken to this way. You know, this is where this process needs to begin again. You know, let's revisit this. It's an, it's an ongoing process uh, that still happens every now and again. It's almost like he forgets um, and goes back into that old reactive patterning. Um, I forget. We're all human. Mm -hmm. And when we've spent, you know, 30, 40 years of our life practicing one way of being, um, we're not going to 
get it right the first time. So this is where that whole um, healthy relationship, healthy boundaries comes in. There is so much more respect. There's so much more appreciation and acceptance of each other's differences and um, warts and all, failures, successes. And it's more now about a reminding. I mean, I don't even have to speak to him when he um, goes off his head because he's just come to the end of his brick, which we all do at times. I just have to give him a look. And he immediately knows that, oops. And I just give him the space. And yeah, we come back and have a conversation around it as opposed to it being a fighting, yelling, screaming match. So this look that you give him, was this a new look that you developed once you had this first time of speaking up and saying, I will not receive this from you anymore? Did you then develop that look? Or was this look that some a look that you've ha been ha you'd been having all along and he finally was able to recognize it after you spoke to it? That's a really interesting question. Um, I've never really actually thought about it. Um, but now you've brought my attention to it. it it's almost, it, it's beyond a look, it's an energy. Ah. Um, and, and a look probably comes with it. But it's more that, you know, it's almost like I fill myself up like that lioness and stand there and say, I am unmovable. You have just stepped over that boundary, mate. And yeah, but it's done with compassion. It's done with, because when I first started doing this um, and trying to create some boundaries and clarity, it was done from that um, negative victim, poor me, mm. life's not fair energy inside. Whereas the less and less that I've had of that, um, and the more self-compassion and compassion for him um, that I have, um, yeah, that, that, that that's just what seems to emanate out mm. and it's felt but yeah it sounds like you really found a sense of your own power and your fierceness and your own um self-advocacy of taking a stand and saying nope this isn't happening anymore and usually that's a being able to do that with others uh has to do with the ability that we've discovered within ourselves to say nope i'm not doing that with myself anymore can yeah. you remember a time when you had that inner conversation with yourself where you told that voice inside of you that was persecuting you no this is the end of the line that's not happening anymore Sometimes a thousand times a day or more, and sometimes every day. <laughs> I remember back, uh, must have been about 2005, 2006, um, I started listening to Eckhart Tolle's A New Earth. 
and he was talking about listening to your thoughts and um, your patterns and that. So as I was walking um, in the morning, uh, I would notice how destructive and persecuting my thoughts were of myself and of my life. And it was like, oops, I don't want to think this way anymore. So what do I want to think? How do I want to feel? And so I'd carry on with my walk and I'd be starting to think really good thoughts and feeling really good. And then all of a sudden, the next moment, it was like I was back in that destructive cycle again. And it was just a, a constant reminder to myself that actually I've got a choice of how I think. And I don't want to think this way of myself anymore. I don't want to be depressed. I don't want to be this horrible person anymore. And did you ever um, look at that inner persecutor in a similar way that you looked at your husband to see that there was something that must have happened? And it's probably fairly clear knowing your, your history of, of prior abuse as a child, but, but would you like, because sometimes those, those patterns can be re-stimulated by, you know, things in the current environment, mm -hmm. right? Oh, yeah. So you might be going along quite nicely you know, affirming to yourself that I'm going to have good thoughts about myself. And then you smell a certain smell, or you hear a certain conversation in the grocery store, or you have a certain interaction with a family member or, you know, a loved one. And suddenly there's that pattern again. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I'm curious because there, there's the there's the taking a stand and saying, no, we're not going to do this anymore. And then there's the taking a moment of away, perhaps if needed. And then there's also the let's care for what's what's needing healing that's underlying that persecution um, uh, pattern. And so I'm curious what kind of caring for your inner persecutor and, uh, processes you you've developed there were lots of triggers there still are actually lots of triggers um and i think it was practicing um self-acceptance and the remembering reminding myself that I am not um, what's happened to me, that I am not my feelings, I am not my thoughts, but they all impact me and I have a choice over those. Um, and It was, I, I liken it to, you've had children? No. No, okay. So, but you can imagine a, a parent with a child who is just starting to walk. They've been crawling and now they're getting up on their feet and starting to walk. They bang into things. They fall over. Um, 
A parent doesn't stand behind them with a whip, berating them and belting them every time they bump into something or fall over. A parent is encouraging them and a healthy parent. A healthy parent. Yeah, a healthy parent. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, cheering them on um, and encouraging them to get up and to have another go. And this is what I started doing with myself. Every time I noticed, because sometimes it might be a week or two weeks that I'd go back into the muck pile and I'd be floundering around in the muck and in the stink and had got right back into pulling out the cat and nine tails and whipping myself. Mm. And that as soon as I became aware that that's where I'd gone back to, it was like, okay, Erina, you've done with that at the moment. Just leave it there. Where do you want to be? And to come out, but with gentleness, with kindness, with encouragement. Mm. Um, so in some ways, it's actually like reparenting ourselves. Mm. Because we, most of us didn't actually have that as right. children. Yeah, or we had a combination. Yeah. A little bit of that and some of the exactly. other so yeah. we've had a taste but not the the real mccoy so it's like becoming the role model to ourselves that we want to be for our children mm -hmm. our partners our friends our families and you know it feels sometimes like uh for those of us who didn't have that kind of role modeling when we were growing up that we have to somehow conjure it up out of thin air uh, to give it to ourselves. I mean, sometimes we can find other adults that have either conjured it yep. up for themselves out of thin air, or they did have the some more of yeah. that role modeling and have developed that, um, or have you know gone a, a bit farther than we have in conjuring it. And so mm -hmm. I'm curious um, where you drew, where you've drawn your resources for conjuring that out of not having that and then being able to give that to yourself you know did you have have you had mentors or trainings or um uh, role models as an adult that you could you know see a, a different way uh, demonstrated or was it just pulling it out of nothing <laughs> my children have been the most powerful keys to that for me um i haven't been the mother that i would like to have been um i've done an absolutely tremendous job and i do congratulate myself for that but there were many times that i acted in ways that um or reacted in ways that i had been um, taught by suppose the responses and reactions from my children I must have been aware enough to notice that they were causing pain for them um, also I was gifted with three really special children who were in my face um, and while they brought out the worst in me they also helped me to bring out the best in me um, so all along, it was like, um, how, do, how do I want to mother? How do I want to parent? 
and it was with the, the deepest of compassion, um, acceptance for who they were individually as children, and to bring out, help them to discover and bring out their innate gifts mm. and their awesomeness. Mm. Um, and, and, that, and I suppose in doing that was the trigger that I wasn't acknowledging what I had inside of me. And it was about time because I think that's perhaps what they taught me. And then I've had one or two really good um, mentors um, along the way that have kept on reminding me, say, telling me perhaps one of the biggest things was that they were seeing things in me that I just didn't even know existed. And yet I've had to um, find and own and embrace um, and yeah um so they were seeing they were seeing um gifts and uh, uh strengths in you that you didn't know absolutely uh-huh yeah yeah like what um, can you give an example of something that a mentor <laughs> helped you to become aware of and how they did so uh, my resilience um my ability to love and forgive, uh, my ability to be able to show up and provide somebody with the most awesome experience, my ability to be able to see the best in everybody else. Um, and that's another thing too, uh, that inherently i believe that every person on this planet that has been born that is born and will be born they are inherently good it's our learned behaviors and the role modeling that we have that determine the the person that we come um and that so i see that inherent goodness in everybody which has caused me some issues at times because some people aren't displaying that inherent goodness. Um, and I've been exceptionally trusting and got good um, in that. But yeah, that answers your question. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like a couple of things that, that a mentor could point out to you that you might not have been aware of as strengths and resources that you were leaning on probably quite regularly. And I can kind of hear the, the, that conversation where, you know, you're, you might be feeling not so great about something. And then the, because I've been in the, that role of mentor for some people and, and have received that as well of the mentor saying, actually, it sounds to me like you're displaying a great deal of love and forgiveness and resilience and all those things that you mentioned. And then it just shifts the way you, the perspective that you have on the situation and you feel good about yourself again. It's, those are some of the, the lovely things about having a mentor who really is um, mentoring in that way of encouraging and uplifting and, and yeah seeing your, you know, having, seeing, seeing your strengths and, and truly seeing them. Um, mm. I'm curious if you've had mentors that also help you to see your blind spots. 
Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and how that conversation might go, because, you know, there's, and this is a conversation that I've been doing some writing about and, and talking about that there's, there's a belief system that's out there. And, and I participated in that for many long years, thinking it was the best and most expedient path towards healing, which is you've got to like sort of stalk or hunt down your shortcomings, your blind spots, and you need somebody who's going to help point them out to you and, and help you just right, get to the heart of it and dismantle it. And sometimes in, in some people really appreciate it, uh, the harsher, the better, right? And uh, I've learned that that can, send, that can keep us, our nervous system in fight and flight mode and that there's a physiological response to being in hunter hunted mode with oneself that perpetuates that persecutor, victim, all of those energetics and patterns. And even though it might seem expedient to be using uh, shame, for example, and criticism and harshness to get to a certain result, it's usually, you know, it, it, it's, it's, um, it's an illusion that that progress has been made because it's usually um, in order to appease that, that harshness you know, to stop that harshness. It's not to, the change isn't being made because of an inner impetus to make that change. It's more to appease that harsh teacher or that um, mm -hmm. inner persecutor. And so I'm curious if you've had experiences with either mentors that were using that, that harshness and that you had to, you know, how you responded to that or um, mentors that were able to point out blind spots in a nurturing and gentle way that allowed you to see it for yourself and not feel shamed or criticized? That's a lot of a question. So don't, don't worry about trying to remember the whole thing. It was just a big topic today that we came to in our conversation. So any part of that that you wanna tackle? Yep. So. I've had many, many people tell me my blind spots. Again, the energy that it's come from, some of them have come from that harsh persecutor energy. Others have come from the kind, compassionate thing. I saw the whole lot as the harshness, the persecution, when I was in that fully victim mode. Okay. Right. So once I healed my inner bully, I could then hear the difference between the compassion and the compassionate prompting, the compassionate um, encouragement to explore that this might be going on for you and to hear that other um one of one comes to mind is the drama um being a drama queen and you've heard probably heard the phrase we create our own reality 
with our energy and our thoughts and that sort of thing, um, to a certain extent. So I used to create drama in my life to help me feel alive, to help me feel a worthy person, to help me feel accepted that I was being noticed and rah, rah, rah. When I first started healing, Erin, why do you need to create so much drama in your life? Haven't you got enough to stress and worry about? I used to hear it as an accusation that I was wrong, that I was bad, that rah, rah, rah. Um, then something obviously shifted and I could actually start to think, well, actually, I don't want to keep on living like this. I don't want to have to the exhaustion of drama after drama and trauma after trauma. So I started exploring what in me was desiring this drama. And um, that so, um, yeah, and, and now like the whole judgment criticism thing, it's been coming up, it's been getting in my face in the last week or two big time towards myself, but also towards others. And I've realized that it's the energy behind it that tastes so bitter and sour, and it's been getting in my face. So it's like, okay, judgment, we need to be discerning. Discerning is an aspect of judgment. So when I notice my thoughts as being critical or judgmental, Become playful and become curious about why would you think like that, Erina? What's going on that's causing you to think like that? Um, and then to ask myself the question of what's the energy that's behind that? So that I can get a feel for what's happening. Um, and then I can actually perhaps look, well, okay, so is there another way you want to think about that? Or... How do you want to feel about that person or that situation or whatever? So it's shifting it from being an icky, um, heavy, bitter energy and taste to something that's a little bit more playful and curious. Um, and that, and I had was practicing that this morning when I noticed myself being judgmental about somebody. Um, and that, and it is it, it's starting to to shift. So. Um, yeah, I think that answers. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm also curious about uh, what you started to notice being the difference between the, um, the harsher way of like having someone point out a blind, a blind spot for you versus, and that might be someone outside of yourself and that also might be the voice inside of yourself you know as you start to how can you um can you articulate like maybe two ways of pointing out that example that you said uh, about the drama queen uh tendency right uh did you notice that that you have an inner voice or even a a, a friend or a loved one pointing it out to you in such a way that feels nurturing and uplifting versus how someone would point it out to you in a way that felt judgmental you know like after you'd gotten to the place where you where you could recognize that in yourself 
can can you like give us an example of of uh, a word or a demeanor, a, a way of speaking or a demeanor that that feels one way versus the other way? You know, I don't think I can <laughs> because if, if I've got that vibration within me that's saying that I'm a victim and that I'm wrong, that I'm bad, that I'm unworthy, no matter how it's said to me, mm -hmm. I'm going to hear it as an accusation or as a criticism or as a judgment. And is the reverse also true that if you're, if you are um, really uplifting yourself and not feeling, not judging yourself and not being harsh with yourself, then even the harshest, most judgmental, critical way that somebody points something out to you doesn't feel that way to you? Yes. However, <laughs> Um, uh, for, for me, it, it's still a process. Um, it, it's, there is an aspect that, yeah, it just runs off the back like water off a duck's back. But there is still, because I'm still learning, because I'm still growing, um, evolving, there is an aspect inside of me that sometimes will take umbrage to um, what has been said um, and, and I noticed that something's starting to flare up inside of me but I'm able to notice it and catch it now um, and to be able to give it uh, it's right acknowledge it because I, denying it's not healthy but to be able to acknowledge it and say well actually why is that emotion why is that feeling coming up what's going on and underneath this um and that but i will say most of the time yes the opposite is true well and i would imagine too that um and this is true for me that as i orient more towards that you know self-nourishment and upliftment and and like that that when I do encounter people who are, um, you know, doing the other thing, the harshness, the criticism, the judgment, mm -hmm. and that so much so inside themselves with themselves that that's spilling out on others and that they're doing that with yeah. others. I usually just remove myself from those people. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Because that's, you know, I, I am not allowing that to go on in myself and yes. therefore why would I allow someone else to do that with me and yep. so I imagine that 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 happens less and less as oh. we surround ourselves with with people yep. who are also on that wavelength of how can we um, support each other's healing and growth in the most effective way and seeing that tearing each other down uh, is not the most effective way to to move towards healing and growth. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, you, we've experienced this ourselves. We can say the most kind, supportive, oh, yeah. encouraging thing to somebody and 
they treat us like we have just accused them of one of the most heinous crimes on earth. Right. Um, and that, so, you know, there is that reciprocal mm -hmm. um, stuff. So we know what it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, wonderful, Erina. I just want to thank you for sharing so much about all of this with us. And um, I want to say, is there a place that people can go, say, to connect with you online if they want to learn more about your writing and more about your healing services? There is. Yes, I have a Facebook page uh, called Erina Oliver, The Love Vortex Adventures. Uh, I also have a website that actually needs a little bit of tweaking now, but it's um, erinaoliver.com. So it's Erin, E-R-E-N-A, Oliver.com, all one word. Um, and yeah. Lovely. And it sounds like you, we were talking about how perhaps you have a book in you that's not <laughs> created yet, that's coming. Yep. Can you give us a hint about what book, what kind of book you might be preparing to write or gestating, brewing? It's a story of hope. Um, I touched just briefly um, my journey through abuse, autoimmune dysfunction. Um, I'd had the symptoms of MS probably for about five or so years. Um, I've been symptom free for seven now. Um, and uh, other autoimmune um, symptoms as well and healing my own dysfunctional and toxic marriage to something that I choose to stay in this marriage now. It's awesome. Um, and that, yeah, it's life is not hopeless. We can change. So when we change, relationships is what it's all about. So when we have a healthy relationship with ourselves, every other relationship that we have in life is more healthy. Um, when our cell, the cells in our body have a healthy relationship with themselves, then the relationship that our cells have with all the other cells in the body is more healthy. So we have a more healthy body. Um, and it's the microcosm reflecting the macrocosm. So when we're noticing dysfunction in our external environment, it's bringing our attention to the dysfunction that's potentially internal. And when we're noticing dysfunction that's internal, it will be reflected out in our external world. So as we heal um, one, we're healing the other. Mm. Wow, it sounds like a powerful, powerful story and, and powerful wisdom coming through you for this book. Have you started writing it already or? I probably have started in some ways because I've got bits and pieces from different aspects and that sort of thing scattered around. So it's about bringing it together and then expanding or adding to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just when you said that, it, it, it reminded me of making pie crust where you get it all, it's all the bits and pieces of the flour and the, and the butter all in the pan. Yes. And then you start adding the, a little bit of water at a time and pretty soon it comes together in, in, a, in one cohesive lump of dough. So 
there we have it making book pies <laughs> all right well thank you, thank you so much for for joining us today and um listeners know that if you want to learn more about um my writing projects you can visit uh wombcenteredhealing.com and um, join me for writing from the womb workshops weekly workshops to explore your own writing process as well you can look for that at the womb centered healing temple on eventbrite um, you'll find the the weekly writing from the womb workshops so i look forward to um, hearing from you uh, listeners if you want to share about your reflections about this podcast you can do so in the womb centered healing temple facebook group and ask any questions that you might have as well so that's all for now until next time